Simple Beep, episode 24, Easter Eggs. Hello, and welcome to Simple Beep, a podcast looking back at the history of Apple and the Mac community. I'm Ed Cormany. And I'm Brian Satorius. And in this episode, we're going to not look at a particular piece of software, but we're going to look at some various features of a whole bunch of different software, a lot of system software through the course of Mac history. And we're not going to look at the practical features. Instead, we're going to look at some of our favorite features, which are the hidden features, which are commonly called Easter eggs. Yes, there were a couple of resources that helped us remember a lot of these Easter eggs. And one of them defined Easter eggs when applied to computer features, of course, as the Easter eggs on your computer are hidden, like Easter eggs during Easter. And that's exactly what Wikipedia says, too. And if you go to Easter egg, you get one of those lovely little disambiguation notices at the top of the page in italics. It, the regular one actually shows eggs in a basket in a field of grass and says, this article is about special eggs painted around Easter. For a secret message hidden in media, see Easter egg, parentheses, interaction design. So we're going to talk about how some of these interactions got designed in the early history of the Mac. And of course, uh, we'll start by referencing some more modern ones just to give you an idea of what we're going at. Although I feel like some of these, as we'll see, the the level of sort of carefree attitude that was there in the early days of the Mac is not quite there today. It's a little bit more serious. The jokes are a little bit more uh, sort of sarcastic and close to the vest rather than just hey, we're developing something new and we're going to throw in some inside jokes and references. You have to imagine that back when Apple was a company with an employee count in the high hundreds or low thousands, it was easier to slip something like the uh, an Easter egg through code review or, you know, like if you knew your manager really well, they could kind of give you a wink and let it in as opposed to the Apple today with tens of thousands of employees distributed among various organizations doing peer code review, uh, it's probably a lot harder to sneak in something unwanted and unneeded. And probably a lot fewer individual or very small team projects. And uh, one other thing about the history of Easter eggs is that Easter eggs were not unique to the Mac, uh, and they didn't originate on the Mac. They originated several years prior to the Mac. And by most accounts, the first Easter egg was in an Atari video game called Adventure. And the main game designer, his name was Warren Robinette, and he wanted to have some sort of credit for the game. But Atari's policy at the time was that they didn't feature game creators in credits for their games. So at right before the final build of the game, he snuck in like a secret room, secret area in the game where you could go and see, and it gave him credit for designing large portions of the game. And that's one of the first documented Easter eggs. And that was exactly the kind of thing that they were doing in early Apple, where people were just trying to put their stamp on work that they were proud of. So, like I said, there are some still some interesting, fun little Easter eggs and things that you might just not notice that are sort of clever or make some sort of reference in current OS X or recent OS X. 
Some of these have gone away recently. I think uh, Johnny Ive decided that they were too messy for the white room. <laughs> uh, so for one of them is the text edit icon. But this is, again, just pre-Yosemite. The text edit icon after that is just a plain, completely blank sheet of paper. Once you write on the sheets of paper, Johnny has to get rid of them. <laughs> 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 too too messy, too messy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but before that, on the text edit icon uh, was the text of the here's to the crazy ones passage. And if you blew up the icon pretty big, you could see that. And like we mentioned in our icon design shows, once we got into OS X and into the Retina era, icons are quite large indeed. And a one-to-one icon is really a huge picture. And that piece of paper is really the size of a piece of paper. And another system-wide fun little Easter egg is to shift-click during animations to see them happen in slow motion, such as minimizing a window using the genie effect into your dock or certain transitions in the dashboard, as we talked about a couple episodes ago. I don't really find that as an enjoyable Easter egg. Uh, also, because I do a lot of custom keyboard shortcuts uh, for window management, and if I get my fingers messed up, and throw in an extra shift, it also triggers with the keyboard shortcuts. So if you do like mission control uh, and you throw in an extra shift, it starts coming in really slow <laughs> or fading out really slow. And there's really no good way to abort it. So you're like, oh, now I'm going to sit here for five seconds while my windows fade in. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Apple, it's pretty. Uh, like I said, some of the current ones are kind of sarcastic. Um, one of them is if you have a mixed network, maybe at work, maybe in your home where you have Windows PCs on the network. If you go into the network browse uh, window, so if you go to Finder, Go Menu, and Network, and you go into icon mode there and you blow up those icons, you'll see that all of the PCs, while at a normal icon size, just look like they have a plain blue screen, like maybe a television that has no input. If you blow it up, you see that it's actually the Windows blue screen of death. Yeah. But the blue screen of death of a certain vintage, because I haven't used a modern Windows machine really, but I've heard that maybe Windows 8 or later, the, um, the blue screen of death has a sad emoticon, not even an emoji, but like a colon open parentheses. <laughs> There are some Windows 7 PCs in my office, and one of one of my coworkers who sits right near me had some hardware issues, and she got some classic blue screens of death to this day. And something that actually has little fun Easter eggs across all of Apple's platforms is uh, using speech-to-text to basically uh, ask fun questions and get fun answers. Most recently, Apple even played this up with the title of their... Uh, fall special event was Siri, and uh, right around that time... Oh, you, you did it, Brian. What? Oh, no. <laughs> I'll bleep it. I'll bleep it like ATP. <laughs> uh, so if you asked Siri some questions about the event, she would give back jokey answers, but we've known this ever since Siri came out, that if you ask things like, tell me a joke, or you uh, just say like normal conversation stuff with Siri, she'll respond back. And this goes all the way back to speech recognition and speakable items, which I think were available as early as system seven, you could, the one I remember is you could say, tell me a joke and it would go through a, a script of different knock, knock jokes. And it would actually intelligently wait for you to say who's there and would only answer if you said blank who in response to the name it gave you, which was pretty smart. That's actually smarter than Siri. Yeah. 
Yeah, she has a straight script. People, when they find something new in Siri, there was that one that went around Twitter like wildfire a couple months ago, where it was like, if you ask, what is zero divided by zero? Yeah. But I really hate Siri's dad jokes, because let's be honest, that's what they are. Yep. It's like, I want you to set me a timer. And it goes on some tirade about <laughs> about how fun timers are. Like, no, no, no. And there's a setting where you can turn that off. I think it's only provide voice feedback if you are on hands-free mode. So if you have headphones plugged in or if you're on Bluetooth. And so the entire... I woke up one morning and all of Twitter is going crazy about, oh my gosh, did you ask Siri what zero divided by zero is? And I'm like, okay, all right, I'll bite. What's zero divided by zero? And it just comes up and it says on my screen, indeterminate. And like, that's it because, <laughs> because I had the voice feedback off and it goes off on this long story about cookies and friends and so on and so forth. And all it just give, gave me was the straightforward answer, which was exactly what I wanted, but I missed out on the whole thing. It's not even that funny. It's kind of disparaging. Yeah. <laughs> you have no friends. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but that's part of the fun of uh, these Easter eggs is that you do have to go looking for them. And as we'll see for the examples in the classic Mac era, you really had to go digging sometimes and had to do some sort of arcane series of steps to even get to them. So just me having to go back into iOS settings and turn back on the Siri voice feedback to see something is actually pretty tame in comparison to some of these. Let's start by looking at some Easter eggs that were actually encoded into the hardware, which is probably... You know, as low level as you're going to get if you're going to be looking for things. And these first Easter eggs that we'll talk about, you may consider a blend of hardware and software because you do have to actually go in and manipulate the computer through software to get to them. But they are encoded and specifically into the ROMs. Yeah, maybe the very first Mac Easter egg was one where you didn't have to go into software at all, which was inside the original Mac case. If you cracked open the case of an original Mac, you would see in the plastic on the inside were the signatures of all of the design team. So again, almost more just like signing a piece of art or trying to put your stamp on a product that you worked on very closely rather than something that's a joke or particularly funny or you know out of the ordinary. And in the same way, these Easter eggs hidden in the ROMs are another way of saying, this is us, we, we built this, we made this. There were a certain classification of these ROM Easter eggs that had to be uh, accessed through the debugger mode. In some earlier Mac models, this was a hardware switch. You could actually get into the debugging mode. And in others, you'd have to use something like Maxbug or a boot, maybe even in a debugger mode. I never messed with this, so this is all this is all fuzzy to me. And these are all machines that I never had access to personally. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so one such example, there's actually a cool video on YouTube that we'll link to for the Mac SE model where you hit the physical debugger switch on the side, get into debug mode, and enter a certain string of hex. And when you hit enter, it'll fill the screen with a <laughs> heavily dithered black and white image. Uh, but it's a photo, and it's a photo of the team that specifically built the Mac SE. And that's encoded right there in the hardware in the ROM. Yeah, there were others that did the same sort of thing, like the Mac 2FX. And 
as I said, sometimes he's had pretty hard to figure out steps. So for the Mac 2 FX, you had to uh, you had to set the clock first to uh, March nineteenth, nineteen ninety, which was the day that the two FX was released, and then you had to restart and hold down Apple Option FX, and you would also get an image of the dev team. I have a reference here, uh, an old book that I have called Voodoo Mac, which has a whole section in it on Easter eggs, and they go down. Uh, a whole list of these. So the 2CI, the 2FX, the Mac Plus, the SE, a Mac Classic, all of these have some unique combination of steps that you have to take to get into something that's encoded in the ROM that is a representation of the team behind the machine. Or you could go even lower level. Uh, this is one of my favorites that I found in doing the research for this episode. The One of the first... G3 chips, the PowerPC 750, it was codenamed Arthur. And if you like peel back the cover of the chip and look at the silicon, this voids your warranty. <laughs> <laughs> this breaks computer. Um, but there is a very tiny, like microscopic sword etched into the silicon of the chip. And it's, it's Excalibur. It's King Arthur's sword. Uh, and we'll put a link to an image of this in the show notes, but like talk about needing to dig deep to find something that has no bearing on how it functions. Etching a microscopic sword based on your chip's code name into the chip itself. Got to be up there. Right. And they could have, I don't know, they could put a couple extra transistors in there or something. Who knows what they could have done with that space today. It would be more battery. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we would all complain if this ever got out there. Uh, but now let's move into the more fun Easter eggs, the ones that you had to discover to be that were hidden in software. And that you might discover by accident and would set you off. You know, th this is kind of where the Easter egg metaphor really works, is that you might just find one of these by accident and then it sets you off on a whole quest of trying to find all the others. You think, oh, well, they put one over here. Maybe they did the same thing in a different application or in a different piece of the system software. Yeah, totally. And it's because a lot of the Easter eggs kind of followed a similar formula for how to trigger them. And one of these was holding down modifier keys while choosing regular, uh, usually like menu options. And I think one of the, the most widely known is to hold down option while choosing about this Mac from the Apple menu in the Finder. Uh, originally, if you did this, instead of showing like the standard, at least in system seven, it would show like what memory you were using and show what system uh, version you were on. If you held down option and chose the same uh, menu item, the menu item in the menu would read about the finder instead of about this Macintosh. And uh, originally it would show a black and white photo of like a sunset uh, behind some mountains, Silicon Valley. And the credits for the finder dev team would roll across the bottom. And then eventually, as Macs became more color capable and system software by default was color, the image got uh, more colorful, more textured, <laughs> more more color depth to it. I love that they basically kept the same design, though, which is an extremely, extremely basic rendering of some mountains. Yeah, they're basically just triangles. 
It's kind of what makes it endearing, though. It's like it's like children's art almost. <laughs> I feel like the original one it was probably all that they could manage in the software. That's another thing about this transition from the hardware to the software-based ones is that with the ROMs, if they did, you know, the, the ROM probably came in a specific size and they used up all that they could, all that they needed for the ROM data, but then there was some left over. And, well, then that's a perfect place to put an Easter egg. But anything that's in software, while resources were still, you know, at a premium, if you started using up those resources, well, that's, you know, that's RAM or that's disk space that could have been put to some other good use. So you wouldn't want to just be using it up. So <laughs> these original images in the about this Mac or about the Finder window were extremely, extremely simple, just you know, bitmap, black and white, and they must not have taken more than a K or two. And there's even evidence that Apple planned at one point for this black and white version of Silicon Valley image to play a QuickTime movie that zoomed out to show it wasn't actually Silicon Valley. It was a spot on Clarice the dog cow's back. And some enterprising old-time Mac user has extracted this movie from wherever it was and put it on YouTube. So we'll definitely link to that in the show notes. There's also evidence that in OS 8.5, they had planned to do away with this altogether and replace it with like a more traditional credits box. And uh, again, I guess it didn't make it into the shipping version, but someone found the resources and put them online. So we'll link to those as well if you'd like to see them. So following from Apple's lead, a lot of third-party developers also realized that part of the functionality of all apps on the Mac is that you got up in the Apple menu in the classic Mac and now in the dedicated application menu. The first thing in that menu has to be about the application. And since Apple set the precedent, oh, if you hold down some modifier keys here, you might get something special. Many other apps did the same thing by putting in secret graphics or additional credits or giving access to some hidden feature. And I think that it was almost obligatory that when you got a new app on the classic Mac, <laughs> it was sort of like launch the app, look at what's on the first screen, go in the preferences, and then hold down option and choose about the app <laughs> just to see if anything happened. <laughs> Another Apple app that did something pretty similar, which was ResEdit. And in ResEdit, there was a feature hidden basically behind the same, in the same place. I think you had to hold down all the modifier keys, command, option, control, and choose about ResEdit to enter pig mode. And uh, if, you, if you did this, it would actually pop up a dialog box asking whether you wanted to enter pig mode. It looked like an ordinary classic dialog box. And in place of the icon where there was the little face with the uh, speech bubble coming out of it, instead, there's just an icon of a pig. And it says, start pig mode, question mark, cancel or OK. <laughs> and if you hit OK, it would make oinking sounds. But it actually enabled a potentially useful feature, which was that it turned on some sort of resource-heavy uh, RAM purging or memory purging process 
that was apparently useful for testing certain kinds of custom resource manipulation in apps. And I guess it was called pig mode because it was so processor heavy. Like you couldn't do anything but this testing or just sit back and listen to the pig noises <laughs> when it was in pig mode. And then you would do the exact same thing uh, to exit it. And it would ask you to make sure that you wanted to send the pig away. A whole other common trope of triggering Easter eggs after system 7.5 came out was to literally type secret about box, lowercase, select that text and drag it to the desktop. And this was made possible by um, a system extension called clippings, which when I think about it, I, are basically like quick look light in the classic Mac OS. And text clippings are still available in OS 10 to this day. If you just, if you select text and drag it to the desktop, you get a text clipping. They're not very functional in OS 10. Um, it, you're, you're better off, I don't know, putting your text somewhere else, but it's, it's still a possibility. This was part of the, the feature was part of the enhanced drag and drop features in system 7.5, I believe, where you, there was now, there was the paradigm of drag and drop in the finder for manipulating files and folders, but only at this point did drag and drop come to things like moving text around in a word processing document, which we take totally for granted today. So like Ed said, the the idea of clipping started in system 7.5. So that was the first system in which you could do the secret about box Easter egg. And in system 7.5, if you selected that text, dragged it to the desktop to make a text clipping that just said those three words, it would pop up, uh, I guess, like basically a dialogue box without buttons that was a breakout game. And each brick in the breakout game was either the first or last name of someone who worked on system 7.5. You got an infinite number of balls to bounce around. So like if you lost a life by letting it go below your paddle, you could just keep playing until you cleared the board and then it would restart. And of course, this is the dream of every kid in a school computer lab is a game that is actually built into the system software that cannot be removed and can be triggered very easily at any time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> every computer running this system has a game. You can't get rid of it, and you can get to it. You absolutely can get to it. Uh, some people eventually found where the resources for this lived and uh, wrote up some ways that you could turn the game itself into a desk accessory. It involved like duplicating the calculator and swapping some of its resources out for something in the system suitcase. That sounds a lot more complicated than typing secret about box every time you wanted to play Breakout. Yeah, and, exa and if you wanted a standalone Breakout application, there were much better shareware versions of it, certainly. Uh, but this wasn't the last time Apple was going to use Breakout as an Easter egg. And Breakout itself has history within Apple. It was, wasn't it Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak kind of invented it or, or brought it to life at Atari? According to Wikipedia, which is never wrong, Breakout is an arcade game developed and published by Atari Inc. It was conceptualized by Nolan Bushnell and Steve Bristow, influenced by the 1972 Atari arcade game Pong, and built by Steve Wozniak, aided by Steve's jobs. Breakout was also the Easter egg, the only Easter egg in the first iPod. I think if you like held the select 
button down in the about screen, you could trigger a classic breakout game. And like so many of these Easter eggs, if they had any utility or real fun value, they then became official features with the iPod bringing the actual breakout game and paratrooper and solitaire and the rest. In system 7.5.5, I think we had, we saw the release of quick draw 3d and Apple canned the breakout game because it was too flat too 2d and now dragging the text secret about box to the desktop brought up this kind of aerial image of Apple's campus at one infinite loop with a 3D rendered flag on a flagpole uh, blowing in the wind based on where your cursor was within this window. This was when we really went from just very simple little Easter eggs to some an entire experience. Yeah. And uh, the flag said had a picture of an iguana and it said iguana, iguana, power sergius on the bottom in reference to uh, code names. The iguana also actually has an electrical outlet or an electrical plug for its tail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, this, like Ed said, this Easter egg was fully involved. If you held down modifier keys when while you were dragging the text to the desktop, you could get like your frames per second on how well it was rendering this flag show up, or you could suppress the credits from rolling across the bottom. Wasn't there some way to actually rip the flag off the pole? Yeah, I think if you moved your mouse quick enough so that you were changing the like the wind speed and direction rapidly, it would blow the flag off the pole. Crazy. Very resource heavy when you think about a, like a 512 pixel wide image that's black and white and dithered now to this like fully rendered in real time flag waving. Secret about box also worked in other places. Um the desktop pictures control panel that I guess was like post-released for system seven and system seven dot X since it was became a native feature of OS eight. Um, if you created a picked resource and labeled it secret about box and then uh, dragged that picked to set it as your desktop picture, it would replace it with uh, this, this weird image of a bird uh, that had credits. Bird is charitable. <laughs> I guess it's like an, an, an emu or an ostrich or something, but it's it's basically just a, a figure eight with a dot for an eye and two two lines for legs. Yeah, yeah, very primitive. And uh, when we got the application switcher in OS eight point five, if you dragged it off the menu bar, so you had it kind of floating, uh, in that floating. palette palette mode. Exactly. Thank you. Palette mode. And you dragged secret about box onto that palette instead of onto the desktop, the palette would turn into a display of credits for who made the application switcher. These were the features that I always waited for someone to publish it before I went trying it. I was happy to go hitting option and command and clicking on things and trying menu commands, but I was not going to drag things named secret about box everywhere (laughs) (laughs) just in the hopes that it might work, even though it did work in many, many places. Yeah, I think... After every system upgrade, I would have like multiple text clippings just saying secret about box littering the desktop as I tried it everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) Just keep one in every folder. Never know when you might need it. (laughs) One other System 7 feature that enabled some fun Easter eggs was the balloon help feature. 
So this was the feature that would help you learn how to use your Mac by turning on the balloon help mode, and then you would basically get tooltips. They were called balloons because they showed up as little speech balloons instead of just plain uh, <laughs> rectangles. And everything that you rolled over in the Finder especially, but in other areas of the interface as well, would get a little explanation. And this could be very useful if you were unfamiliar with various parts of the Mac interface, or if you wanted to go on an Easter egg hunt. Because for individual applications, you could customize the balloon help. And what would be most helpful is if you put in some brief description of what the application actually does. And this makes sense, especially on older, slower hardware. There is a cost to opening up an app and trying to figure out what it does. You might not even have enough memory to launch the app or whatever. You want, you want to know what you're getting into. Or if you're poking around in the system folder and you see some extension that you think, huh, maybe do I need to load this at startup every time? Maybe it'll cause a conflict and I'll be in pain. Um, do I need it? I don't know. What does it do? I can turn on balloon help and point at it and it'll give me some idea of whether it's uh, crucial to you know the network communication or whether it's some third-party thing that doesn't even matter. So the way that this was controlled was, like almost everything in the classic Mac, was through resources. And you could set a resource for balloon help either as a text string, which was sort of the default, or you could actually set a picked resource, an image resource, as the balloon help, and then it would just scale the balloon to whatever size the image was, which could have some pretty pretty comical effects. Um, we mentioned in our Escape Velocity episode that if you did this with the Escape Velocity app, instead of just text that said this, there was an image with it in big, italic, bold font that says, what you looking at? <laughs> <laughs> um, but there were even Apple apps that had these same kind of sort of irreverent remarks in the balloon help, although not in big, bold text. They were in the like default Geneva 9 text or whatever the balloons displayed in. So one of them was Maxbug, and this makes sense. Maxbug was a first-party application from Apple, but it was part of the development suite and geared towards a more nerdy audience. So for those who haven't used Maxbug, it's, it would either automatically trip if there was some sort of crash or error, or you could drop into Maxbug. In fact, it replaced the force quit keyboard shortcut of Apple Option Escape. You would drop into Maxbug and the whole screen would go away and you would get this uh, sort of console view, a command line basically, where you could directly read or write or manipulate or diagnose uh, the contents of memory directly. And so this is the issue is if something gets corrupted in memory and it leads to a crash, well, probably it's because the program has done some sort of improper write to memory. And of course, things were being handled in a much less safe way than they are in current modern programming languages with memory protection and various system level features that try to avoid these sorts of things and that keep macOS 10 stable today. Uh, but if you turned on balloon help and hovered over Maxbug, it says, 
This file provides programmers with information proving that it really was a hardware problem. Which would actually be bad. I mean, software problems are fixable. Hardware problems hardware problems are expensive. <laughs> there are also balloon help Easter eggs for the the quick dime slash quick draw suite of extensions. If you turned on balloon help and hovered over the quick time extension, you'd get this uh, funny dictionary-esque definition. Time. Noun. A non-spatial continuum in which events occur in apparently irreversible succession from the past through the present to the future. Very useful. Doesn't tell you that it's used for displaying movies at all. Right. Also, apparently irreversible. <laughs> Not proven. <but> hmm. <laughs> also, for Quick Draw 3D, the balloon help text simply says, Flatland no more. Come and follow us into the third dimension. <laughs> third dimension is capitalized too, which is great. <laughs> yeah. So that gives you an idea of the various types of Easter eggs that were being hidden around the classic Mac. But we have a few more that we'd like to share that are some of our personal favorites. And maybe, I don't know, a couple of these are sort of esoteric and in apps that maybe other people haven't seen. But fortunately, some of these are still available uh, via the Macintosh Garden which is a great repository of classic Mac software. And for some of these, because they were, if you go to the Macintosh garden and you want just a description of what an app does, or you want to see some screenshots of its basic functionality, you get it right there on the website. But if you want to see the Easter eggs, they're not going to include that right in the description of the app. Um, so I had to actually go and download some of these. Um, so I have a favorite old Easter egg and a favorite new Easter egg, a current one that people don't have to go through emulation to see as long as they have an iOS device. So my favorite old Easter egg is from, I don't know where we got this app. It was a shareware or maybe freeware app called Brian's Sound Tool. And this was back when we were in elementary school and we were working on a multimedia project in Apple Media Tool which is another long forgotten piece of software, first party software from Apple. It was supposed to be like, it was supposed to be like HyperCard Pro. Um, if you can imagine like Apple's Pro apps today as they compare to the consumer apps. Um, anyway, we could do a whole show on Apple Media Tool um, if we could remember what it was like. <laughs> um, but we had a bunch of sound files that we wanted to use in this multimedia presentation that we were putting together. And we were, it, it was sort of early high speed internet and we had pulled them from, I'm not sure what, <laughs> what sort of resources on the internet, but a lot of them were in windows sound formats, uh, sound formats like wave and at, on the Mac, there was, you know, Today, it's trivial for uh, to open a WAV file. I mean, we were talking about uh, Quick Look earlier. You know, if you Quick Look a WAV file, it's just going to start playing. It's, it's, a, it's a standard, but on the Mac in the mid-90s, it was completely unopenable, and we had, to, uh, we had to transform or transcode, basically, the WAV files to System 7 sounds or something else that could be used in our project. So we had this app called Brian Sound Tool. This was actually not one of the about the app secrets, but if you went into just the plain preferences, which you had to use if you wanted to set 
which type of sound file you're going to save to. Um, there was the preferred Windows type of file. <laughs> and because it was at the height of the Mac versus PC era, Windows is spelled W-I-N-D-O-Z-E. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the three options are WAV file, VOC file, I don't know, V-O-C, which must have been some sort of, I don't know, sound recording file that has since gone away. And then the third option is two rocks to bang together, <laughs> which is sounds like not very good sound quality. But what it actually is, is it's a reference to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And there's a, a radio program that comes on in one scene in Hitchhiker's Guide. And it's basically saying that they're broadcasting to anyone who's listening and everyone else still has to bang the rocks together, that is, discover fire. So if you clicked this option, it wouldn't actually stick as an option. It would just play the clip. We'll be saying a big hello to all intelligent life forms everywhere and to everyone else out there. The secret is to bang the rocks together, guys. And then it would go back to whichever option you had chosen previously. <laughs> so it was kind of an Easter egg in plain sight, but just the, the silliness of it was so endearing that I think many times when we didn't even have to, we would just go into that preferences window and click click the little radio button to to get the man to say the thing about the rocks. <laughs> <laughs> I said that I also have one favorite new Easter egg. So I don't think there are too many Easter eggs, or maybe I'm missing them, but I don't think there are too many great Easter eggs on OS ten, especially not in the system software, not in these built-in things from Apple the way that we got very used to in System 7, 7.5, 8. But one of my favorites is, this one has actually evolved over time a little bit, and I think the previous version was even more fun, but uh, the current version is still very good. Uh, have you ever used the Ookla speed test app on iOS? I have not. I've only used like whatever native speed test website exists right so these are exact actually the same people who do speedtest.net so it's this it's the same company and all i can say is when you open the, up this app and it looks very functional and you run a speed test and it has one of those interfaces where it's like a a meter like you would find on a dashboard and it it you know revs up as it's doing the the download speed and then checking the upload speed and then it gives you your your score your results at the end all I can say is if run run your speed test and then pull down, like swipe down on the little bandwidth meter and keep swiping down <laughs> on the bandwidth meter. And there is some fun Easter egg goodness in there. And keep going when you think it's done. It's not done. <laughs> I similarly can't place any modern Easter eggs. Uh, but what you just said about the speed test and swiping down reminded me of something that was actually... I think brought sadness to the people who found it. Uh, but when Twitter bought Tweety2, the iOS Twitter client from Lauren Brichter, and we're in the process of converting it into their official native iOS app, the last update to Tweety2 as Tweety2 um, added an Easter egg to the pull to refresh, which Lauren Brichter invented. If you pulled to refresh like your Twitter timeline and then pulled farther, you got a little slot machine 
that would uh, start going and um, and like all the it would land on like all bird symbols, Twitter bird symbols, and then it would say something to the effect of like this is soon going to be the official Twitter app, which was totally intended to be lighthearted and fun. But I think to most people who who cared about the iOS Twitter ecosystem, they're like, man, that's a real slap in the face. They're like the best, arguably the best client out there is inevitably going to be ruined. Yeah, that also makes me think of uh, TimeHop, which has uh, a Easter egg kind of both for pull to refresh and at the far bottom when you scroll. If you do pull to refresh, there's a standard, um, there's a standard little spinner um, up there that uh, animates, but there's the Abe the dinosaur, who's their logo, um, is also there, and he like grabs onto it and turns it like a wheel. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And then if you scroll all the way down to the bottom, he has like a random quote for you for the day, and you can see him from basically the waist up. And if you pull beyond that, it pulls down and it shows that he's not wearing any pants and he has boxers with hearts on them. <laughs> yeah, actually, as we talk about this, I think pull to refresh might be the like secret about box or option click of iOS because a lot of people or a lot of development teams hide little fun things in there. Like Snapchat, the Snapchat ghost will dance while you do the pull to refresh. It makes sense because it's an interface interaction that people are going to see all the time. And what, and to think about it, when you're doing pull to refresh, you're going to wait even for just a second for something. So if you get some little fun Easter egg in there, it's going to make that experience more enjoyable. I think Twitterific has Ollie the bird hatching out of an egg. I haven't used it in a while. It might be a previous version. Anyway. My favorite Easter egg from the classic Mac days is really more just uh, an excuse to reference this app itself. And it was in the Gerbils game that came pre-installed on Macs around the time that QuickDraw 3D came out. Uh, It was basically a collaboration between Apple and Pangea Software, who would go on to create a lot of classic Mac games and other games pre-installed like uh, Nanosaur and Bugdom. We all remember those if you had an iMac, a G3 iMac. Uh, and Gerbils was to demonstrate the power of QuickDraw 3D, like live 3D rendering on the Mac. And it was basically you could build a, a roller coaster. You could swap in loop-de-loops for tall curves or the initial tall hill and send little crudely rendered gerbils <laughs> through the roller coaster track. And you could watch it like bird's eye view and watch them go around it. Or you could do like gerbil eye view and see it from a first person perspective. Let me just be completely honest. In 1996, when I had barely seen anything 3D on my Mac, because all of the 3D games were on Windows, gerbils was endless fun and magic. (laughs) It certainly was. It was hilarious and still like uh, awe-inspiring at the same time. And if you put multiple gerbils on the track, they would eventually run into each other and they would kick the one off the track. Yeah, whichever one was moving slower. And and it would play this so- <laughs> incredibly mean sound. Bye bye. <laughs> and <laughs> and if you were in first person and you were like at the top of a hill when that happened, you, you would see just like the world fall before <laughs> you <laughs> as you went off the, off the rails. 
if you were too, if you were a gerbil moving slowly and a gerbil moving like slightly faster than you uh, came to knock you off, you could actually like go inside <laughs> the other gerbil for a split second and your entire field of view. The, the clipping was not good. <laughs> yeah. And so your entire field of view would be the texture of like the gerbil's face stretched out like you were inside this uh, like football shape. Uh, it was, yeah, it was it was awful and wonderful at the same time. But anyway, as an application that served to demonstrate how 3D texture mapping worked, you could modify like the texture used for the roller coaster track from like a weird rainbow pattern to more realistic track looking patterns. Uh, you could texture the world, the sky, um, I think even the gerbil objects themselves. And the Easter egg was another hold down option while you were choosing through the available textures. And you could use the the heads of the developers themselves as textures within the game. Uh, yeah, Gerbils was another one of those games that was like, it's right there in the install of the system software. I think it was in the Macintosh Extras folder that would go in the root level of the hard disk. So you might not always have access to it, unlike um, unlike the Breakout game, which as long as you had access to the Finder, was there for the taking. The breakout game, when I really think about it, was probably my favorite Easter egg overall. Uh, like Ed said, when we talked about it, it was always there for the taking, including in Computer Lab, uh, which I think was like a once a week class. Uh, Ed and I went to the same school and we would have like the computer day. And uh, being the, the Apple obsessed little kid that I was, I would zoom through like the stuff we were supposed to do and just want to play a little game of breakout. No harm. Our fond memories of it. So that rounds up our tour through some of our favorite Easter eggs on the classic Mac and also on the current Mac and on iOS. And we should say that we've barely scratched the surface of Easter eggs in general. And we probably owe to link and give a shout out to a couple of key references that we had as we were going through these. I mean, we remembered a lot of the Easter eggs, but it's always good to have a reference to know for sure. Was it option? Was it command option? Did you have to click it? Did you have to go, you know, what exactly was the incantation to get to some of these? And also it's fun to see that this is just the very tip of the iceberg. There are so, so many more. So we have a couple of references. One is from the Macintosh garden. Like I said, you can download some of these apps there and try them for yourselves, but they also have uh, this dump of an app that was, it, it was a classic Mac app that listed Easter eggs, but someone pulled all the content out and it's like a, it, it's like an ebook. It's like 70 page PDF of Easter eggs in first party applications, third party applications, lots of screenshots. That's a lot of fun to just go through. And so we'll put a link to that in the notes. And also a lot of these we got from the website Macido, uh, and they have a dedicated Easter egg section that we will link to in the show notes. And of course, you can find those show notes on either in your podcast app, or you can go to our website at simplebeep.com. Go to simplebeep.com slash episodes, and you'll see the notes for this and all of our other shows. You can also send us some feedback through our contact form on the website 
there's someone out there now screaming, going, you missed my favorite Easter egg. Please, please send it to us. If you prefer to send it to us over Twitter, by all means, we are at simple underscore beep. And if you have a lot more to say, you can go on our website and fill out the contact form there. We're also individually on Twitter. I'm at Bsuto, B-S-U-T-O. And I'm Ecormany, E-C-O-R-M-A-N-Y. That's all for this episode. I'm going to go and hold down option and click on everything that I can find now. We'll see you next time.